Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. So today I am talking to Victoria Kleinsman, a Brit living her best life in the Netherlands. Victoria is a food freedom and body love coach, inspirational speaker, podcast host and writer. And she is certified in psychology, spirituality and the science of nutrition and is also inspired greatly in her own work by her personal experience and walking the tumultuous recovery journey herself. Victoria has overcome anorexia, binge eating disorder, bulimia, and an abusive relationship. She struggled for over 20 years with poor body image and disordered eating. But I'm very happy to say that today, Victoria eats whatever she wants, when she wants, in any amount that she wants. She makes food choices from a place of nourishment and pleasure, and she is healthy, confident, and knows her worth. Her self-love is overflowing from within, and so she has, as she describes, oodles to give others. When reading about Victoria's story, I was absolutely struck by her openness and vulnerability in sharing, and also the level of transformation that Victoria has undergone. From being completely food-obsessed and self-loathing of her body, in the depths of despair with her self-esteem, to being in a very different place today. I sense that this is going to be a truly inspiring and uplifting conversation to provide hope for what is absolutely possible in recovery. Let's get to the conversation. So just to make you aware, I have some training days that I'm running throughout the autumn, winter and into the spring next year. These are one-day trainings in eating disorders and body image, and they are ideal for counsellors, mental health professionals, anyone who's kind of working with people with eating disorders and wants to, you know, expand their knowledge and skills and tips on working with this client group. So my next course will be on Saturday, the 24th of September, and that will be in eating disorders. And then I'll be running like a body image course the next month, eating disorders the next month, subsequently right through the winter and into the spring next year. So if you're interested in finding out more, do go to the eatingdisordertherapist.co.uk and you can find out more and also get in touch with me about booking a place. On this training for the eating disorders, you'll get a really good understanding about the different types of eating disorders. You'll explore typical causes of eating disorders and understand how to create a psychological formulation for your client. And then I will take you through specific skills, knowledge and strategies that I use and when working with people with eating disorders, drawing on my experience of working in the NHS for almost 20 years and also in private practice. So I draw on motivational enhancement therapy, cognitive behavior therapy, compassion focused therapy, a bit of cat therapy, cognitive analytic therapy, Um, but pulling all these different ways of working together in a way that's very sort of tailored for working with people with eating disorders. So yeah, if you're interested in that, do head over to my website, theeatingdisordertherapist.co.uk and click on the training tab. Hi, Victoria. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Good morning, Harriet. It's a pleasure and I'm really excited for the conversation. 
<laughs> Me too. <laughs> so Victoria, please can you firstly just introduce yourself to the listeners? Absolutely. So name is Victoria Kleinsman and my title is a food freedom and body love coach. And I help women to make peace with food, become besties with their body and fall madly in love with themselves. So that's kind of like my tagline, if you like. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so Victoria, when I was kind of doing a bit of research on you, as I do before I kind of, you know, do these podcasts, and one thing that really jumped out about you was the fact that you really wear your heart on your sleeve. You are a huge empath and I just think your warmth just like springs off the page. So I wanted to really acknowledge that um, about you. <laughs> thank um, you. I received that. Thank you. <laughs> but one thing I just thought would be helpful just to explore a bit first is I think, you know, probably quite a lot of people listening might identify with being kind of a real empath and being quite sensitive and experiencing their emotions quite deeply. And I guess, you know, there's I experience this too. And there's pros and cons of that, aren't there, of how we show up in the world and being like that. So I just wondered as well, like, could you just like perhaps just explain a little bit for you, like, some of the like real benefits of that but also as well how it's been quite hard sometimes for you definitely you know throughout my personal and spiritual development journey I've learned more and more that whenever we put a wall up due to past pain or due to past trauma to protect ourselves we can't just pick and choose what emotions or what perhaps potential triggers we're protecting ourselves from because when we have a wall up let's say against intimacy or the fear from the pain of rejection we also have a wall up for experiencing happiness and joy and love because we can't pick or choose so because I naturally am a very courageous brave person so that does run through my veins if you like I, I do naturally have those characteristics However, I've learned that the more you just have your heart on your sleeve, the more open you are. Yes, you experience the depth of the pain, which I now understand is always teaching us something. We can always grow from that. But you also experience like immense joy and happiness and love. And I am a bit of a pleasure seeker. And so if I can experience more love, joy, happiness and pleasure, and that might also mean I could potentially experience a depth of pain. I'm in for that. So there is, it's like, it's both and you can't pick and choose what you're protecting yourself from. And I think that's why a lot of people can feel quite numb if they have a lot of past trauma because they're kind of living, but they're not really living. And it's all due to fear from my personal experience as well. Well, thanks so much for sharing that because I think it's incredibly validating for people to hear that because I think particularly, you know, when you're struggling with an eating disorder, you know, the focus on body image, the focus on food, it is a way, isn't it, often of numbing and dissociating from pain. And of course, it does do its job kind of thing of protecting us from that pain. But like you're saying as well, it also it blocks the joy and the pleasure and the spontaneity and the love and the happiness and all those wonderful things. So I just think it's so helpful for you to say that out loud because I think sometimes people have lost sight of that, haven't they? They're so driven by their fears and it feels so scary to engage with some of those difficult emotions, but also then they're just blocking such a expansive, wonderful, you know, amazing part of life as well. Exactly. And if you think about it, like fear 
is all in the mind. So the acronym for fear is a false experience appearing real. So we often worry about something. Mostly for me, it was like food, body, weight, worth. Everything was like my worth was like completely connected to what my body looked like. And so when we're worrying about that or perhaps being scared of getting in a bikini, et cetera. The fear is in your mind first and foremost. So when something's actually happening in the present moment, if you have a trigger around that, you will experience the the pain of most often it comes down to the root of not feeling enough. It's the fear of not being enough, which in my opinion, all the food stuff is a symptom of the body image stuff, which is a symptom of not feeling good enough as you are in the authentic body you have as the authentic version of you, because life has told us otherwise, right? We learn through conditioning, as you know. So when we feel this fear and we actually don't allow ourselves to feel the emotions that we're kind of trying to push down in the moment, it's actually worse And so if we practice, and this does take a lot of courage, if we practice welcoming painful emotions and feeling them, they actually release very quickly because emotions are energy in motion. So if we have an emotion come up and we're like, no, 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 I'm I'm not going there. I'm not feeling that. I'll distract myself with dieting and weighing myself and what am I going to eat today and what diet am I going to do tomorrow? When we distract ourselves, we're actually keeping the pain within our physical body because pain is stored physically in the tissues. And so we think we're protecting ourselves from pain, but actually it's a lot worse over time. It's the fear of the feeling the pain because as children, when we experience like rejection or whatever it may be, we don't know how to feel that. We feel so overwhelmed as children, we don't know how to process it. So We're not expected to process it as children, but it's our responsibility as an adult, regardless of what trauma we've had, to welcome that pain and to feel it with support, of course, to start with. And then you realize, wait a minute, I am strong enough to feel this pain. And yes, it hurts physically, but I'm okay. And I actually, the more I feel it, the less and less pain I experience over time because it comes and it goes. You're not holding it in if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think it's put beautifully. And I'm just really grateful that we've done such a deep dive straight away. (laughs) Right in there. Yeah, yeah. but I think great points there. And I think, you know, the fear we have sometimes of it, of feeling and expressing these more painful emotions, and then we kind of block them. um, It makes things worse, doesn't it? And actually, you know, often when we experience a feeling, it doesn't just kind of escalate to the point that we explode and we never stop crying or we kind of <laughs> the rage lasts for days. You know, it's much more momentary, isn't it? And, you know, like you're saying, actually, when you actually allow yourself to feel these feelings and to kind of live through it, you can then start to develop, can't you, as well, that kind of self-trust and that confidence that you have. You have some resilience and resources within to deal with some of these feelings. Yeah, I love what you said, Harriet. Like when we really courageously go into the pain we don't die we don't explode the sky doesn't fall down on us which that's what the overwhelming fear of feeling pain especially past pain which is always stored and just layers and layers and layers get on as we go through life we literally feel like we're going to die or something like we can there's no physical possibility that you can feel that pain 
But when you do it for the first time, you will cry a lot, you will journal a lot, you will express a lot. But then over time, it gets less and less dramatic. I remember my first coach, I went to her for eating problems. But of course, you know, it's like, a yes, the food's definitely something we need to talk about, but it's a lot deeper than that. And my first piece of homework, if you like, was to practice intuitive eating, but that was a symptom homework. My depth homework was to feel my feelings. And I didn't really understand what that meant. So when she shared with me, Victoria, I want you to feel your feelings this week. And I was like, but what does that mean? And she said, well, for example, if you're watching a film or a movie, there's a sad scene and you want to cry. And how many of us like stop, we feel that lump in our throat and the burning behind our eyes and we kind of swallow it back down because we maybe perhaps think, oh, don't be silly, it's a movie or I don't want to ruin my makeup or whatever it may be. If you just allow that to come up, I I cry every day. My fiance is kind of, he's just used to it now. He's just kind of like, there she goes again. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that because I'm then clear, right? I feel so clear and I'm available and open for all the love, joy and et cetera to come in. So when I practiced this, my first week of homework, I remember going to the gym and I was trying to do a one-legged squat. It's called a pistol squat. And I couldn't do it. And then I just felt this overwhelming sense of like, I wanted to cry. And of course it wasn't the fact I couldn't do the pistol squat. It was linked to all the childhood stuff that I couldn't do. And I didn't express myself and I felt pressure to be good enough and all of that. So then I thought, no, okay, I need to allow myself to cry. So I didn't want to cry in the middle of the gym floor. So I went to the toilet. There's things you can do practically to allow yourself to feel. And I sat in the toilet and cried for a bit and then like laughed at myself and like put my hand on my heart and was like, sweetheart, that's so cute how you've literally just cried over the fact you can't do a squat. And then I came back feeling so much better. So for the listeners to understand like what it means to feel your feelings, it's simply if you feel anger, express that in the safest way possible for you dance scream into a pillow go boxing like it's the simple expression of how you feel and holding space for you while you feel that and then letting it go and then repeat till the day you die I'm assuming we have to keep doing it right we do (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah that's beautifully put Yeah, and I really appreciate you sharing the examples there because I think as well that, yeah, people do really get a bit caught up in like, what does it mean to express my feelings? And I think it's just really helpful to, you know, talk about your experience there. No, thank you. And what helped me as well was the emotional wheel. So when my coach used to say to me, how do you feel? And I'd just go, fine or okay. And she'd be like, no, but how do you feel? And I was like, uh, because I was so in my head so disconnected from my body because of all the dieting I'd done, all the meal plans I'd followed. Like I was completely ignoring my body. I was not in a relationship with my body at all. It was just something that was, I lived in, but I never liked because it was never good enough. And I feel so sad, like remembering how I used to feel that way. I didn't know how I felt because feelings are stored in the physical body. So to practice looking at the wheel of emotion And being like, you know, five times a day, I'd set my alarm on my phone and just be like, how am I feeling? So I'll take a moment because it was important to me. And I invested in myself with a coach, which is also a big point of investing with money as well. I was like, right, how am I feeling? And I'd look at the emotional wheel and just practice asking my body as if it was a child, like, hey, 
how do you feel right now? And if sometimes I didn't know that was also okay, I then practice self-compassion, which is in my, in my opinion, the biggest and most deepest thing you will do for yourself is understand how to pour self-compassion and understanding to whatever you're going through and holding yourself in that. Mm, Yeah, no, thank you so much for sharing that. So Victoria, what I'm so struck by with your story is your level of transformation because of, you know, reading about you and, you know, looking into things more, I can really see that you were just absolutely preoccupied with food, with dieting, you had so much self-loathing, your self-esteem was on the floor, your relationships were not great, or, you know, or your, your romantic relationship, there was so many things going on. So could you talk us a little bit about, you know, through your journey and just, you know, either because I think it's just so hopeful and inspirational to the listeners about because you really have made such a transformation. <laughs> Thank you, Harriet. And I would love to share with the listeners. And you know, the first thing that came to mind when you were asking me that question was, I like to learn things the hard way, right? So the person that I am, and I'm sure many of your listeners and the clients and the patients that you work with are similar, we tend to have very A-type personalities, kind of all or nothing, perfectionists. And that's what I find kind of chronic dieters and people who struggle with eating disorders, they tend to have that kind of underlying personality. And so therefore we keep fighting and fighting and fight. And if we we can try harder and do better, and that's in my opinion, why we end up so far down the slope and into the rabbit hole. Whereas kind of a person like my sister who had the same upbringing, and I'll share my story in a moment, she had the same mother and father. Obviously she's a different person, but she never had thankfully any kind of disordered eating or body image issues, which was always very interesting to me because we're very close in age. There's 18 months between us and she didn't have any of the things that I experienced, although she was influenced by the same mother and father. So I think personality does come into into it for sure but my story is when I started dieting from the age of nine with my mom I wasn't classed as overweight and I don't even like to use that word now in my coaching because over what weight right I mean BMI is bullshit misunderstood information if you ask me but I wasn't overweight or anything like that I was very active but I was in a codependent relationship with my mother which I've only realized in the last couple of years through therapy And therefore I did everything she did. It was like, I took it on as my responsibility to like make her happy and all of that. So whatever she did, I copied. My mom also loved the fact that I wanted to do what she was doing. So it was this like unbreakable team and I wanted to be like her and she wanted to be like me in this kind of strange love bubble that we didn't realize wasn't perhaps quite normal. So I followed Weight Watchers and my personality of perfectionism and overachieving was already developed by then. So I would be given a set amount of points per day by my mom because obviously I was too young to actually diet. And I also went to the meetings with her for weigh-ins to see her get weighed. And I'd be given a set amount of points, but I remember hitting that for a couple of days and then being like, well, if I just go like two points lower, then I'm like overachieving at this thing that we're doing together. Therefore, my mum will be like so proud of me and I'll be doing such a good job. So it started off that way. And then fast forward to the age of 13, I developed anorexia nervosa, tried to hide it from my mum as long as possible by like wearing baggy clothes. And your mum always knows, thankfully, like I was very blessed to have a very loving mother but she noticed quite early on. And because I was under her care, 
which is a good thing. I was kind of forced into recovery, if you like. I didn't want to recover in any way, shape or form. I wasn't recovered mentally till year, well, until five years ago, actually. But physically, I was like force fed and weighed every week and had the counselling, which I didn't want either. I I feel sorry for the psychotherapist who tried to <laughs> who tried to help me because I would just sit there and just not want to talk at all. That was quite blurry that time of my life. But I remember being so petrified of food. I would rather have someone pulled a gun on me than try to make me eat a meal. And I've actually done a lot of research since. And I'd love to have your view on this as well, Harriet, before I continue with the rest of my story. Tabitha Ferrara, who's an eating disorder specialist with anorexia, she says that her theory with research backed behind her theory, that anorexia is it's a genetic, not a mutation, but it's a gene that can be switched on when you're in energy deficit for quite a considerable amount of time. I can relate to that because there was no willpower involved for me when I didn't want to eat. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I mean, a really interesting one. I mean, I think I think it's definitely true. It makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Mm. I think, you know, some of some people have more that kind of genetic predisposition and it kind of can get switched on. And then, you know, then you become very much becomes very sort of habitual, doesn't it? And like you're saying, like perhaps not having the willpower, it just perhaps became normal and something that felt really good and safe and positive and was very mm. rewarding. And I think I'm just thinking back to the Minnesota starvation study as well. It's just we know, yeah. don't we, that once you get into starvation, it does seem to change the human brain, doesn't it? And I guess it's something about survival, but you know, it, it becomes very, very difficult to kind of let go of those behaviours. And it becomes kind of very, very rigid, something that's very sort of black and white. Yeah, and, and I think really, really hard to kind of let go of once you're sort of down that rabbit hole. Yeah, which is why I was so glad I kind of was forced by my parents, if you like, to recover. And so I started off, I remember watching a movie, it was very strange, my grandma had died kind of in close proximity until I was diagnosed. I'm not sure if that was related, probably be unconsciously, because it was my mum's mom and obviously seeing my mum upset and me feeling responsible for my mum's emotions. It probably was a kind of like, oh, my gosh, I need to control something. And I've always been praised for losing weight. So therefore, like this movie was about anorexia, weirdly enough, and how harmful it was. But for some F top reason, I took inspiration from the movie, which was not the point of the movie. And I did gymnastics at the time as well. And this this person was also into gymnastics, so I could relate to this person. And also in the movie, the person got a lot of attention because she was sick. So I think through therapy, I've understood that perhaps unconsciously I was desiring more attention or wanting to be cared for. So I didn't have to be responsible for something all the time. Possibly that had something to do with it. But either way, I was anorexic for but between the age of 13 till about 18 took a long time to recover physically and I was still very small but I was in the healthy weight range I wasn't in danger of like malnutrition or or dying basically and then my relationship with food after that for a couple of years was I would never say it was ever normal until now it was always kind of my mom now went from the opposite of helping me to diet to now it was like over occupied with are you eating enough when did you last eat and it was kind of like oh my god like stop asking me because it was very confusing to for her to help me diet and praise weight loss, experience the anorexia. And then obviously she was on depression tablets because of her having to take care of me. And it was a very difficult time for the family as well. 
to go into like, are you eating enough and almost being smothered with over being overtaken care of. So my relationship with food was never normal. But then when I was 19, I met a much older man. And so he was 34 when I met him, I was 19. I say I fell in love very quickly. I'm not sure if it was love, but that's what happened. I moved in with him and then the abuse started. Now, for those women that know someone who's in an abusive relationship or they'll understand if they've perhaps experienced it themselves, it doesn't happen just like that. It's not like you get into the relationship and then one day they hit you and rape you and then you're like, okay, great, I'll just stay in the relationship. It happens very gradually. So for me, it would look like, oh, don't go out with your friends. Like, we'll go to London and we'll stay in this hotel and, you can know, I'll take you shopping. And at that time, I was I was pretty obsessed with money and like how other people lived. I was quite shallow, if I'm being honest. And I wanted to be taken care of, clearly, that through, through searching for an older man. My dad wasn't, he was working a lot. He wasn't at home much. So I guess I didn't have that strong father figure so we ended up in this relationship and for six years I was in that and I was abused most days there were some good points obviously I turned to food then it was kind of a strange time because it's almost like all the years of starvation and dieting and worrying about my food because I was in this relationship it felt like I was completely disconnected from the real world so I didn't have friends I didn't go out I couldn't even go to the supermarket myself I was literally like a prisoner it was almost like okay now I can eat because I'm not going anywhere anyway he wanted me to get fatter because I got lots of attention less attention when we were out together so it was almost like a, a permission slip to eat everything I'd ever wanted to eat from the age of nine when I started dieting so I ate and ate and ate and put a lot of weight on very quickly he would swap his characteristics between how incredibly attractive I am to how fat I was and it was all a lot of emotional abuse as well and then I remember one time I wanted to try and eat healthy in the relationship and he would say you know I'm not buying healthy food so you can either starve or eat what I eat so it was a lot of suppression and abuse so I just kind of thought you know what fuck it what's the point in living I'm just gonna eat that was my life for six years. I was diagnosed with binge eating disorder. I went to the doctor and there nothing much changed in that relationship. When I left that relationship, which is literally like an episode of Coronation Street, Harry, mm. <laughs> how I left. I mean, I bring, I'm laughing, I bring humor into it. It's not funny, but I deal with things by lighting, yeah. you know, lighting it up a little bit because it's made me the person I am today. So I left that relationship and then I found the gym and the gym was like a thing for me. So I bearing in mind, I've gone from the age of 19 to the age of like, what, 25, having no social life, no friends, going nowhere, doing nothing, not seeing my family, not going to my sister's wedding, to all of a sudden, I can go to the shop by myself. And I remember walking into Tesco and being like, at 25, being like, oh my God, I'm in a, I'm in a supermarket by myself. And the liberation of just being free was indescribable and then I found the gym and it wasn't to do with weight loss it was just something to do I've always been in gymnastics and fitness and it was just to find myself again well the gym was my new obsession because it helped me to process my emotions I didn't go for therapy I'm not really sure why all the anger the shame the regret the resentment everything that was inside of me 
came out through physical exercise and I lost weight very quickly. I all of a sudden had a six pack. Everyone was like praising me. And then it brought back old behaviors of like, wow, if I look this way, everybody loves me. I'm safe. I'm happy. Like not actually happy, but you feel happy because you feel safe because you're being praised externally the whole time. And then that took me down the rabbit hole of bulimia because there was only I started dieting again. And I honestly say I think anorexia is completely different to bulimia from my personal experience. But I say this in podcast interviews that anorexia for me, as I've shared, it wasn't necessarily about willpower, but it started off wanting to be skinny. When I was in the gym world, it wasn't just being lean. You had to be lean. You had to have shape at this. It there was You had to have water retention here and not there. It was so micromanaged in the way you would micromanage your body. That damaged me so much more than the anorexia, honestly, from my experience. So then I would starve myself and like eat chicken and broccoli, like, and that's it in the day ride nine horses a day because I worked with horses as well, train twice a day, and then just go to the supermarket at the end of the day and just binge my face off every night. And then it just was on repeat. I don't know how my body sustained itself. I wasn't nourishing it. I looked quote incredible because I was doing fitness modeling. I was getting praised, but behind the scenes, I was purging with laxatives, over excessive exercise, trying to make myself sick. Thank goodness I've somehow physically couldn't and I'm so grateful for that and then it wasn't until I was 30 which as we record this that was only five years ago I went to Egypt on holiday met a Dutchman Wouter who is now my fiance met him when I was in the full bulimia like you know tiny body nine percent body fat and I remember him saying to me because I was in an all-inclusive holiday and he was like why don't you don't eat anything? So I wouldn't eat breakfast. I'd go on a 10 mile run in the Egyptian heat in the morning. I wouldn't eat breakfast. I wouldn't eat lunch. And then in the evening, I'd go to the gym. And then I would just go and eat dessert from the dessert buffet all night. And again, I don't know how and then take laxatives and then, oh, my poor body. And so when I met him, I fell in love. He came to England every weekend for three months. He flew over from Holland to England every single weekend for three months. I just followed my heart and thought, you know what? What's the worst that can happen? One of us needs to move somewhere because the travels, like, even though I wasn't having to do much effort, he it was a lot for him. So the first time ever, I guess I just followed my heart and just jumped in with both feet, decided to move here. Here I am. And it was his catalyst of love and support and personal development that started my healing journey from disorder, well, eating disorders body hate, body dysmorphia, like all of that. And then five years on, it's almost like I'm talking like about a past life because I feel so secure in my recovery. And this is what I help women with. And I love myself so much. And I say that with so much emotion behind that because I never thought, well, I first of all, I thought self-love was just someone being arrogant. But I just can't can't actually believe I'm in this position. And I, like I say at the beginning of my story, I needed to learn the hard way. And I've learned all of my lessons and I now have the depth of the compassion and the wisdom and the empathy to help women through a hell of a lot. So that's my story. That's my story in a chocolate nutshell, basically. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much for sharing. You know, I, I really just appreciate, and I know the listeners will, just that, 
that real openness and vulnerability and I think it's just so hopeful and inspiring as well because you really were in the absolute depths weren't you the absolute obsession and what strikes me as well like the thread running through your story is a a lot about relationships isn't it you know like in terms of like you know your relationship with your mom and and then the abusive relationship but now this really healthy empowering encouraging relationship and I think, again, it's just something for the listeners to reflect on because of we often do think it's all about food and body image, don't we? But our relationships are so important, aren't they? And how we're sort of showing up in the world with ourselves, but also in terms of how we're interacting with others who we're close to in our lives. Yeah. And thank you for, for reflecting that back to me and also for holding space as I shared my story. That's very true, Harriet, because everyone's a mirror, aren't they? Like relationships are here to help us grow if we so choose to. I mean, many people don't and that's okay. We don't know what we don't know, but relationships are mirrors. And so looking back from the relationship with my mom and I still have a great relationship with my mom now, like we've done our own healing work and we're still very, very close. But through my mom and the abusive guy and the guy I'm with now, everything was a mirror allowing me to look deeper within myself but I didn't know that until until very recently and I am quite spiritual and I believe that my soul chose this to in order to get where I am so any of you listeners or watchers that are going through a hard time right now please know that it won't last forever and please know that it's probably happening for you for a greater purpose that you perhaps have no idea what that is yet but just that little bit of faith that, okay, this is really painful and shit right now, but it's happening for a reason. That's what got me through. Unconsciously, I kind of knew that because I went into that abusive relationship knowing it wasn't right. My intuition was screaming at me like, no, this isn't for you. But because my ego was driving me to that, that the security that I craved, the money that I craved, the older man to take care of me somehow, maybe also reflecting back because he was older, maybe I felt it would be less pressure on the way I looked because I didn't have to compete with. It's just so interesting how wounding and our upbringing can dictate the rest of our life in unless we take a look at our life and ask ourselves, am I happy is my life serving me? Because it doesn't have to be that way that it's not because we get to be happy. It's not a fairy tale. I believe that you can ultimately be so happy and fulfilled with the life you have. Life happens. Yeah, you're going to have problems or situations to deal with. That's the whole point in life. But you don't have to suffer in an eating disorder, in a relationship, in a financial situation. There's always ways to be helped. The first thing you have to do is just believe that something that is possible believe that change is possible and I just want to share a little bit about how I felt towards my body in my eating disorder days so to the point where I would shower in the dark I would purposely turn the light off in the winter so I couldn't see my body when I was showering I wouldn't look down because if I saw myself and people outside of that would look at my body and be like how the hell can someone who looks like that, because I was in a normal body, feel that disgust and that pain towards her body? But it's an internal, it's an internal thing, you know? So I felt so much self-hatred. And I remember at one point looking in the mirror 
And this was, I was kind of, how old would I have been then? It was after the abusive relationship, but it was before I met now my almost husband, Walter. And I remember being at my mum's house and looking in the mirror because I'd put weight on again because I was always yo-yoing up and down. And I remember crying so hard in my mum's arms. And I remember saying to her, I don't want to care anymore. I don't want, like, I don't want to care anymore, but I do care. How can I not care? And she didn't have the answers. But that was the first little spark of my soul being like, there's more to life than how you think your body looks. Because everyone thinks my body looks differently to what I think my body looks like anyway. And so that glimmer of kind of desperate hope, I didn't know how to do it at that point. And I still continued for a while. But I just want everyone to know that if you hate your body so much, use me as an inspiration that anything is possible. Like I hated myself so much, I can't even bring the words to tell you. And to be able to say I love myself and my body for who I am, not what it looks like, body positivity can come into it. You can look in the mirror and like the way you look, and I do. But it's not about that because there's more to life than if you've got abs or if you're a size 10 or a size 16 or a 20 it doesn't matter as long as you're living in your authentic body honoring your body's needs and living the life you want to live that's all that matters I think yeah here here <laughs> so Victoria obviously, here. you know you shared some really you know lots of things that have really helped you on your journey to come out that desperate place and obviously like your relationship has been a massive part of that starting to feel your emotions holding on to hope kind of seeing like the bigger picture of what's possible what other things have been particularly important for you you know in the last five years of you kind of being on this healing journey yeah number one is the vision because if you imagine you you get in a car and you start to drive and then you question maybe, well, where are you driving to? Well, exactly. Unless you go on your Google Maps and type in a destination, you don't know where you're going. So I would sit there and say, I don't want this. I don't want this. But then I didn't know what I wanted. So what did I want? At the beginning, I wanted to be able to diet like I used to. I would I would say, I want to be able to stick to a diet all those years ago like I used to. But ultimately, that wasn't going to make me happy. Well, number one, I couldn't physically diet anymore. My body was like, sweetheart, no, you are not restricting again. I'm going to just throw every craving out there if you even think about restricting again. And you're going to end up binge eating because I'm actually saving your life by doing this. So ultimately, at at the beginning, I had to have a vision. And my vision was living in food freedom meaning eating whatever the hell it is I want. And I do this to this day, whatever I want, however much I want in whatever quantity I want and loving who I am at the same time. Now, I thought that was just a fantasy that could never be possible. It's almost like, well, that's too good to be true. But I thought, you know what? I got inspiration from Instagram has been a huge part of my healing journey because I would purposely look at women my size or bigger especially with similar kind of body types, because I generally carry more weight on my lower half on my legs and I have a smaller waist. So I would find women who looked like me loving their life and posting pictures in a bikini. And I would purposely every day go and look at women like that. And that was very healing for me. It was like it had given me a permission slip to be myself. So I found inspiration through other women leading before me I hired a coach and I've 
ever since I still have a coach, I'm always investing in courses and programs and mentors in the field of food and body. Now it's more business and spiritual. I don't really need the support in the food and body anymore because I do that. I am the support. But I educated myself. And every time I saw someone living my vision, I would inquire, I would ask questions, I would listen to their podcast, I would just educate myself on how could this be possible for me. And so day to day, when the weight gain came, when I got, when I felt anxious around the chocolate I was eating, I would remind myself, what are you doing this for? And what other choice do you have? So I would sit there, perhaps feel the anxiety or the judgment of the chocolate I was eating. And I'll be like, okay, just take a moment, pour compassion into yourself. And like, I call myself sweetheart, like it's okay, sweetheart, that you're feeling this way. Just be with that. Just think about what you're doing this for, the life that you envision of being the authentic version of you and the authentic body of yours. Because I didn't know, Harriet, what my natural set point weight was because I've dieted since I was nine years old. So I had, I mean, I could look at my parents and my grandparents to see kind of what genetics body size I have, which genetics is number one dictator of like what your body's going to end up like. And there's 108 other different factors that why would you try and control 108 different factors when we can't control it? And so I just had to trust that whatever my body wants, I'm going to give to her. And whatever weight I end up at is whatever weight I end up at. And those that are looking at the video, this is the body I'm in now. And yes, it's still under the thin privilege umbrella, I guess. But I had no idea where I would end up. And I just had that vision, food, freedom, body love, that is possible for me. So I would act as if I was already the food, freedom, self-loving version of me. And that was hard. So when the judgments came or when the time came to wear a summer dress or put a bikini on and I had body image like freak outs, I'd be like, what would the most confident, self-loving version of me do right now? Okay, she would put on the bikini and not give a shit and she would live her life. And so I kept showing up, takes a lot of courage and it's it's hard. But for me, that was the way forward. I kept showing up as the version of me that I wanted to be. And before you know it, I'm that person. There was a lot of trauma work I did, a lot of inner child work. You know, there's a lot of emotional work you have to do. You can't mindset your way through a trauma response. But combined with a lot of like, I would you like me to share some body image tips specifically that helped me? Yeah, lovely. Yeah. So body image, as you know, was a big thing for me. The food stuff is a symptom of not liking your body. The body image is a symptom of not actually loving yourself and knowing you're worthy just because you're alive. So a lot of body image work I need to do to enable me to just let my food be what it needed to be. So the fear of weight gain. Now, the fear of weight gain, this probably stemmed from my anorexia and the world we live in, always mirroring back to us that weight gain is bad. It's a failure if you gain weight, all the things that your listeners already know. I started to question, what do I make weight gain mean? Because I'm so scared of it. And even when I gained weight, I was still fearful of weight gain. So gaining weight isn't the same as conquering your fear of weight gain because you can gain weight and still be scared of weight gain. 
And because I am that quite right, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it right. I was almost like, right then, why the F am I still scared of weight gain? It's annoying me that I'm petrified of gaining weight. And that might be a part of my journey. Most likely is going to be a part of my journey. So I was like, okay, what am I making weight gain mean? And that's when I started journaling. I've never really journaled much before, but I recommend anyone who is, has maybe a restriction or a rejection to journaling, just try it because a lot comes through. So I'd write the question, what do I make weight gain mean? And it would come up with a lot more deep. First of all, it was like, well, my clothes don't fit me and I don't feel as sexy. And then it started to be like, my partner won't find me attractive. My partner won't love me. And then underneath it all, I am not enough. And I started to challenge that weight. But is that really true? Is it true that if I put on X amount of weight, who knows how much, that I'm not still able to be enough? And then I decided to start choosing to believe different things about what weight gain meant. And ultimately, weight gain means nothing. If anything, it means healing. It means recovery. It means growth physically and emotionally. It means stepping into the authentic version of me. There's a great quote by Tabitha Ferrara in her book, and she says, authentic women do not suppress their natural body size. And that that spoke directly to my heart because I'm kind of a bit like a fighter and a bit like, yeah, you know what? Strong, authentic women do not suppress their natural body size. I am deciding to model myself as a strong, authentic woman. So therefore, I would allow my body to do what it's going to do as I'm fueling her with nutrition and pleasure foods. And I just kept questioning, Harriet, what weight gain meant. And I would purposely go to the mirror. This was the most difficult thing I ever had to do and be okay with looking. So I'd start, I'd take a few deep breaths and be like, okay. I would be naked if I could. Each day would be different depending on how I was feeling emotionally. And I'll start from the top of my head and work my way down to the bottom of my feet and start to apologize for any judgment that I noticed that I had now and in the past about my parts of my body. And I would just be with myself, apologizing to my body and sending her love. I didn't try and make myself like the way I looked. That came later and I do like the way I look now, but we have to start with acceptance, surrender, and loving what is, which is Byron Katie's work, it really helps me as well, her book, Loving What Is, because that's the reality I was in right now. And also, if I was a stone, two stone, three stone lighter, how would my life be different? And when I really got honest with myself, the way my life would be different if I was smaller would be more feeling words like I would feel sexier. I would be more confident. People would love me more, but that's a lie. That's just like a story. And then I started to question, so how can I feel sexy and confident in the body I have now without having to love the way it looks? Then it became a bit of a game because I was so over dieting. I was like, F the diet, there's absolutely no way. I can't even if I wanted to, I can't anymore. So it became a bit of a game like, right, well, this is a body I have. I'm also enjoying food freedom. I'm literally eating whatever I want. When I see people dieting, I feel sorry for them from a place of love. I'm like, you poor soul, like I'm literally eating whatever it is I want. And then over time, with the body image work, with connecting to my body and seeing it as a person and and building that relationship with myself and taking care of myself, everything just kind of shifts and falls into place and it gets easier and easier. And then now I eat what I want, but I nourish myself purposely because I want to feel good. 
I exercise because I feel good. I rest when I need to. You, it's, it all comes down to falling back in love with yourself, but you have to go through like a journey of action steps and taking time to be with your body. And in the shower, I would purposely not use a body puff. I would use my hands to wash myself because that was difficult for me to feel my soft body when I'd always compare it to the six pack, hard, lean, muscly body. When I felt the soft rolls, I'd be like, oh my God, that feels horrible. And I'll be like, relax into it. It's okay. Send myself love. And all of those little things day to day have a huge impact over time. And then before you know it, you're putting a bikini on or going out in a summer dress with your cellulite showing and you don't actually care because it doesn't matter anymore. And that's where I'm at now. So everyone, this is possible for every single person in anorexia, bulimia, eating disorder, what in an abusive relationship, it's so possible for you to be in the place where I'm in. Don't allow yourself, which I used to do, to look at role models and think, well, they can do it because they're stronger than me or they can do it, but I can't. If you had seen me in the depth and darkest times that I've been through, there's no way you would ever think that I could be standing in the position I am in today with as a woman I am today. So there is absolutely hope and support is a big one. And being vulnerable, like, you know, Harry, I wear my heart on my sleeve, but the more vulnerable you are, the more people connect to you on a heart to heart basis, because I'm only saying stuff that people are thinking that dare not say out loud, perhaps. Let's be human together. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, again, thank you just for sharing so much of the depth of those little steps that you were taking and how you practically put some of these things you know mm-hmm. into action because of it can just feel so beyond us can't it when we're in the depths of despair and you know mm-hmm. it's so helpful just to hear you know you were not in a good place at all but how you really lent into that discomfort and I think how you really took personal responsibility to really invest your all didn't you you know with so many things you were doing your your life had a bit of an overhaul really <laughs> it did and I blamed people for a long time it was my ex-partner it was a relationship with my mom it was because of this it and then I was like wait a minute and this is all through personal development through like I'm obsessed with books like you know my type a personality it's still there I use it to my advantage so like in the work I do I'm going to be the best coach there is around this area, not to compete anymore because it does, I don't care about that anymore, but it's like, I'm going to do the best I can. And so during the personal development, I kept hearing over and over again, take full responsibility for your life. And I would sit there and ponder, why am I to be responsible to be hit and raped and abused daily? But then I was like, responsibility is different to blame. I'm not taking blame And then also, ultimately, I got to a higher point and higher perspective that I could look at my ex-boyfriend and not blame him either because hurt people hurt people. And he had so much trauma. It's not an excuse. He is responsible for his actions. But I also was responsible for my actions. So I played a part in that. And it takes a while to get, well, it doesn't have to take a while. It took a while for me to get to this place of like, I was also responsible and I could have left. I mean, I felt like I would probably have got shot or something, 
at one point, but I could have made different choices. I didn't. So how would it feel like to take full responsibility, not blame of what has happened to me in my life? And I've worked with so many women and it's not about comparison who have experienced that much trauma. It like literally breaks my heart when I hear what they've been through. And I still stand here as their coach and say, what would it feel like to take full responsibility, not blame for what has happened to you and how you are going to move forward because only you can live your life. And it's not about not giving yourself compassion and space and time to heal. It's not about that. It's not about getting on with it, not at all. It's about taking that responsibility. If I want food freedom, only I can give myself to that. If I want to love my body, dieting's not the answer. It might make me feel better short term if I can stick to it and if I lose weight. But then what happens when I get older? What happens if I have a child? What happens if I can't exercise? Like I was so done. I surrendered to the point where I was like on the floor, white flag in the air, heartbroken, almost didn't want to live anymore. And I was like, I'm done fighting. And when you get to that point of true giving up, that is the most beautiful gift you can give yourself because then you can just go through life like even that surrender to each day like if you at the weather I mean it's beautiful here but if it was raining we have a preference that it will be sunny but I accept and surrender to the rain and I can just take an umbrella or I can moan about the weather and say how miserable it is I can go to the mirror and not like the way my body looks today because I'm on my period and I'm super bloated or I can be so grateful that I have a healthy woman's body that has a menstrual cycle every month And my body doesn't mean anything about me. And I can go and spread my love and give light and love into the world. So every day is a choice as well, I think. So, Victoria, I could really talk to you all day. (laughs) There's so much just great content and wisdom and inspiration um, coming out in this episode. So, you know, I really appreciate you so much for sharing. So can I ask you, like, where can people find you if they want to find out more about you and the work you do? Of course. And thank you for holding this beautiful space, Harriet. I can see why you're such an incredible therapist because you hold such a a safe, like calm, loving space. So thank you to you. Oh, thank you. (laughs) And um, you can find me on, like you, I had my Instagram hacked, unfortunately. So we've had to start again and we're building up our following over time. So my Instagram is Victoria Kleinsman Official. My website is victoriaclinesman.com. My Facebook is Victoria Kleinsman. And what I offer there, so come into my website. That's like my online home, if you like. My social links are there. I offer a free taste test of my paid online program. So every client that I work with on a one-to-one basis and during group coaching, they go through this four-month online program called the Body Love Binge. And you can access the first four modules of that for free and get access to a free membership so I can support you through those those first few modules. So come and check that out. That's on my website and it's under the free taste test. I also have my own podcast, which Harriet's also been on, called The Body Love Binge. And come and say hi. Like, as you can probably tell, I love to connect heart to heart with people. I do have an assistant, but I personally am at the end of every single DM and message because I am my brand and I am behind all of this. So when you reach out to me, I will send a voice note back and ask any questions anytime. And I work with women one-to-one as well and in a group coaching environment. And it's all on my website, all the info. 
Okay, lovely. Well, thank you for that, Victoria. And I'll make sure all of the you know, those links are in the show notes. Thank you. you. Check them out. Thank you, Harriet. <laughs> okay, well, I just want to really thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. You know, I just really appreciate your warmth and openness and vulnerability and authenticity. Um, it's just such a joy to connect. And I know the listeners are going to get so much value. So thank you so much for giving your time. Oh, you are welcome. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me on. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did. And do go and check out all of Victoria's details in the show notes. If you're not following me already do seek me out on instagram at the eating disorder therapist underscore and for further support with your relationship with food do go to the eating disorder if you enjoyed this podcast i would be so grateful if you would follow rate and review as it helps it reach so many more listeners thank you so much for listening today and i look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon mm-hmm.